Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 13, and our text for today is 1 Kings chapter 19. Well, it's an amazing story of a great man of God who had just won the greatest victory of his life over the enemies of God, over the Baalim, over the Ashtaroth, and yet before Queen Jezebel, he took off running. She scared the life out of him. You see, after Elijah had prophesied that it was going to rain, he told King Ahab, you better get across this Jezreel Valley because it's going to be nothing but a swamp. And indeed, that's what it was when the pioneers of the modern state of Israel came in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. They found the Jezreel Valley, the once breadbasket of Israel, nothing more than a swamp in many places. And so they went to work to rectify, to return the land to its original condition of prosperity and of fruitfulness. And in order to do that, they had to channel the Kishon River that runs through the Jezreel Valley. And it really uh, becomes a swamp when it rains. Still today, it can be swampy if outside of the canals that have been built the river and the water flows. But indeed, it is a, a sign that the Bible is very accurate in its geography because Elijah said, you better get on your horses and ride that chariot because the rain is coming. And remember, he saw that just with the faith of seeing a man's hand, the cloud the size of a man's hand. That's almost nothing. It's minuscule compared to the great horizon of the Mediterranean that you can see from Mount Carmel. On a clear day, I've seen the water shining just as shiny as could be the Mediterranean before you. As you can look toward Caesarea, Caesarea Maritime, Caesarea by the sea, and you can see on a clear day all the way to the snowy mountains of the Lebanon and Mount Hermon. And so Elijah had warned Ahab about the coming rain. He had had a great victory. And remember, he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. Now, folks, that's 17 miles he ran. So Elijah was filled with adrenaline. He had just won a great victory, and now all of a sudden, nobody appreciates it. And so what does he do? He takes off running. The scripture says in chapter 19 and verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel, bless his little heart. He had just had too much. Elijah had been rough on him. And he went home to mama and told Jezebel, this is what he did to me. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah just saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. Isn't it amazing? Here is Elijah, the great man of God, standing before 450 prophets, 400 prophets, 850 prophets altogether, men. 
and he stood the test. What a great hero. And here he is. One woman says, I'll have your head by tomorrow. And he is scared to death. Isn't it amazing what a woman can do to a man to strike fear in his heart? And that's exactly what he did. And so the scripture says that he saw what had happened and what Ahab had done. He heard the voices and he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba. Now, that's another hundred miles. It's a hundred miles at least from where the palace at Jezreel was. I don't care what valley you cut through. It's a long way. He had just run 17 miles. He had been up on the mountain. He had been away for three years, surviving on just about nothing. The highest day and highest point in his life had ended up with him running away another hundred miles. He left his servant there at Beersheba, and he went another day's journey about 20 miles into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. What on earth happened? The scripture says, it is enough now. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Here was a great man of God that was suffering from what we would call clinical depression. He was at his wits and he had lost all hope. You see, this is what happens in depression. You begin to lose hope, expectation of anything better. He had done the best that he could, and he had won a great victory. God had come through, and oh, now Elijah was going to have a pity party because everybody didn't like what he had done. Isn't it amazing? We can stand before kings, and then at at the least little thing can get us down. And this is what happened. And by the way, Elijah's not alone in this. Go back to Moses. Moses had just received the Ten Commandments from God, had seen the afterglow of God, had seen God writing with his own finger on tablets of stone what would be the covenant documents of Israel. And yet, within an instant, he was praying, God, kill me. Just take me away. I'm the only one that's going to be, I am not even worthy to live. This is Moses. And so we shouldn't be surprised at Elijah. What about Jonah? Jonah had been rescued. So much was it a miracle that it became a type of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and nights, so the Son of Man will be in the grave. I'm just telling you, Jonah had a miraculous life and a miraculous experience with God. He saw the greatest revival in world history at that point when he went to the most wicked city on earth, the city of Nineveh, modern day Mosul in northern Iraq. And the Bible says that he preached repentance and from the king all the way down to the lowest person on the street. Estimates are that 250,000 people became followers of the true and the living God. And so you would have thought that that would have been on every parchment and every ostraca and every sheepskin vellum that Jonah could write it on, on all of his brochures, 250,000 saved in one meeting, one word, repent, man. But what was he doing? 
He was sitting down saying, God, just kill me. I can't believe you saved those people. I can't believe you had mercy on them. And and my life is just worthless. And then he planted a little gourd and it came up, sprang up, gave him shade. Now look at this. Think about it. And a worm the Lord allowed to come and eat that, and that gourd died. And what did Jonah do? He pouted and said, God, that's it. My gourd is dead. Just kill me. Just take my life. He was more interested in a gourd than he was a quarter of a million people coming to know God in a personal way. And I'm just telling you, everything is out of perspective. You say, well, it just seems to me they lost perspective. You really think so? They didn't just lose perspective. They lost all sense of balance. What is it with us that we lose our sense of shalom, our sense of balance, our sense of wholeness? Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do is for us to believe the lies that he tells us that we're the only ones serving God. We're the only ones that are faithful. Nobody likes us. Just because one woman said, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. All of a sudden, he was the only one faithful serving the Lord. Everyone was against him. And do you remember What later is said, God said, get up from here. I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I know what I'm doing. You don't. But God was so merciful and kind and gracious. And isn't he always? Now look at what the scripture says. You see, God gave Moses a plan. Really, he did. Because, you see, Moses was just, he was overwrought and overdoing it. He was overwhelmed. He was over his head. And God gave him a plan of administration to where he could share the load with someone. Oh, I want to say this to pastors so many times because they just, I'm telling you, Pastors are their own worst enemy. Leaders are their own worst enemy. And many times the reason a church cannot grow very much is because the pastor, because he can't share anything. He's got to do it all. He's got to visit everybody in the hospital. He's got to be there every time because not only does he not trust anyone else to do it as well as he can, but he doesn't want anyone else to share in the glory. And he doesn't want somebody to say, well, now the pastor's really good at this, but I'll tell Hey, oh, so-and-so came to see me. No, that pastor's got to be the one that they talk about like that. This is part of why pastors are burning out right and left is because they're trying to do everything. Listen, share the load, share the glory, share everything. And yes, with accountability, but share that, delegate the responsibility, delegate the workload. This is what God allowed Moses to do, and it saved Moses' life. What about Elijah? Well, if you'll notice, God gave Elijah three things to do. But before we get to that, do you notice how God took care of Moses? He gave him a plan. Well, what did he do with Elijah? He gave him a plan of rest. You see, Elijah went to sleep. The angel woke him up and said, you know what you need to do? Eat. Get up and eat. Now, go back to sleep. And now he woke him up again and said, you need to eat. Now that you're rested up, you can get on with what it is that God's given you to do. You see, sometimes what a leader needs is a good nap. 
He needs rest. He needs to eat and have good health and nourishment. And I cannot tell you how many pastors are burning out, how many leaders are burning out, how many corporate leaders are killing themselves. I mean, literally killing themselves simply because they cannot trust anybody doing anything but them. And that is just a lie from the enemy because the reality is we can't do it all ourselves. Neither could Moses, neither could Elijah, neither could Jonah. And God gave Elijah a recipe for success. Rest your soul, get some rest, take a nap, and then get up and eat well, and then go back to sleep again. Take some time to rest, because the work of God and doing the work of God requires body, soul, and spirit. And a man needs to be disciplined in his body, soul, and spirit. I'm telling you, fat preachers are not what they need to be before God. And you can say what you want to. And I know that some of you say, I can't believe you said preachers are fat. Well, some are. And I've been fat a lot of my life. And I'm not where I need to be right now, but I'm headed that way. You know why? Because I believe God's given me a work to do. And I need to keep my body and my temple that God's given me in good repair and in good health. Uh, Because uh, God will do his part to give me the life that I need. But I've got to do my part as well. And so this is is exactly what many preachers need to hear. It's embarrassing for someone to be grossly overweight or morbidly overweight, getting up talking about how good God is and how much grace he gives us to overcome addiction when they're addicted to food. It gives the impression of laziness and lack of discipline. They may be disciplined in study, but they're not disciplined in body. And if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we've got to be disciplined in body, soul, and spirit because it hurts us. It hurts hurts us when we're overweight. It hurts us when we're undisciplined in any area, body, soul, or spirit. And so God got Elijah's attention like he did Moses, like he did Jonah. He gave him a plan, and that is get some rest and take care of your body, soul, and spirit, and then I'll commission you to do what you need to do. And he did. He commissioned him to do three things. He said, I want you to go and anoint the king of Syria the king of Israel, and I want you to anoint Elisha, your successor. And you know what he did? Well, look what it says. It says in verse 18 that Elijah said, I'm the only one who has served you. And God said, yet I have 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That's amazing. He's talking about Israel. He's not talking about Judah. He's talking about in Israel, the northern ten tribes that were so wicked. (laughs) So look at verse 19. Now, God gave Elijah three things to do, and he gave him how to do it, when to do it. You know what Elijah did? He went and did the last thing first. Now, I'm satisfied that I've got a good reason why. So he departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plying with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And that was his way of saying, come follow me. You're going to have to replace me. Now, why on earth did he go and do the third thing instead of the first thing? You say, well, how do you know he didn't? Because the Bible says he went, and the first thing it mentions is him anointing Elisha. He was to anoint three men. Elisha was the last, and the only one we have really record of him doing this in this order is here with Elisha first. Why would he do that? 
I think he may have learned a lesson that he needed help if he was going to do the work of the Lord. He couldn't do it all by himself. And there were some people out there that were faithful and God had just given him one. So he went and got his own Timothy. I mean, his own Elisha. You see, God doesn't want us working alone. God made us for community and God made us to where we do best with ones or twos or three with a team. Yes, with a team. God likes that. Do you know that even the Lord Jesus didn't send out the disciples by themselves, but he sent them out? Will you finish that sentence? You see, God likes it when we team up with people because then it's not all about us. You see, it's easy to break one man. It's hard to break two. It's even more so that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And when one falls, another will pick them up. Everybody needs a partner. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs a companion. And so when you read of the great feats of Elijah, just remember, Elisha, oh yes, Elisha did more miracles, accomplished more than Elijah did in his lifetime as recorded in the Bible. It all started when Elijah realized God was right. He's right every time. As we walk on the way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.